Emotions are part of our lives. They make up who we are and how God wired us to live. Emotions can be our greatest strengths when under control or our worst weaknesses when left unchecked. They can limit our potential and even enslave our lives. With God's help, we can master our emotions and learn to live in emotional freedom. It's God's word that helps us to keep calm and get a grip. Well, I want to welcome our Missouri City campus with us. We're so glad that you are a part of this service. We are one church in two locations, and to be honest with you, I look forward to this moment every single week because I get just a few minutes to be able to speak to both campuses, and it is really a joy and a privilege to do so. There was a photographer from um, Life magazine that was given the assignment to cover the fires, some of the fires a few years back, over the Yellowstone National Park. And so he called a nearby airport to Yellowstone and he asked them if they would be ready. He wanted to rent one of the planes. They said, no problem. It'll be warmed up. It'll be ready to go, gassed up, ready for you. And so when he arrived, there was a plane that was gassed up, warmed up right there at the gate. And so he assumed that was his plane. And he opened the door. He threw in his bags and uh, jumped in, said to the pilot, let's go. Well, the pilot turned the plane toward the wind, took off, got up in the air, and had been up in the air for about a minute or two when uh, the photographer said, now, what I need you to do, I need you to go right to the fires, and I need you to give me about two low-level passes so I can get some pictures. And the pilots asked, why? He said, what do you, what do you mean, why? Because I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. There was dead silence, and the pilot then asked, wait a minute, are you meaning that you are not the flight instructor? <laughs> I love that story. Because it's so much like life, isn't it? Every time we turn around, there's some new twist, some new turn. There was something. We didn't see that one coming. We never knew that was going to happen when we woke up today. It's life, and that is why so many of the stats, so many of the experts on these kinds of things say that we actually today live in the most stress-filled, stressed-out generation that has ever lived in the history of mankind. And isn't it great because we can at least be first at something, and we're first at stress. Uh, last week, I finished a series uh, in, entitled, Why Believe? And, and the whole goal of the series was to address the four top questions that people ask about God, about the things related to God. And that's what we tried to do over the course of that month. And last week was the last of the messages, and we talked about why it is that we can believe the Bible, why we can know that the Bible is God's Word. And we address a couple of the issues that are involved in that. And you remember the last point I made was simply this, the Bible works. One of the ways that we know it is God's Word is that it simply 
works in every aspect of our life when it, we do what he, it tells us to do, it brings to us the outcome that it tells us it will bring. And we're going to test all of that over the next several weeks with a new series entitled Get a Grip. We're going to be talking about how it is that we can build emotional freedom in our life. Emotions are a part of our life. They're great. Can you imagine living life with no emotions at all? I mean, seriously having no emotions. You're like a computer. You're like Spock of Star Trek, and there is no emotion. It would be a horrible thing. Emotions are great things. They're wonderful things. We love them. They, they help make life what life is. But sometimes emotions can turn on us and actually sort of drive us all the way down. And so we're going to be talking about seven of the most key emotions that we experience in our life as we go through the series together. And it's going to be a teaching team series. Uh, I, uh, Pastor Richie is going to be preaching one of the messages of the series, and uh, Pastor Libin's going to be teaching two of these, and I'm going to be teaching four, and we're going to be going through this series together as a teaching team. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of stress. One of the greatest passages in the Bible, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's the greatest passage that deals with the subject of stress, is found in Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 28. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. On both campuses, I'm going to ask you if you'd stand right now, and we're going to read this passage out loud together. You're going to see it up on the screen. And so would you read this with me out loud? Here we go. Ready? Do you not know... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men and women stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Thank you so much. You may be seated. It seems to me that if we're going to spend a few minutes this morning talking about the subject of stress, we ought to know what that, that is actually about. So we need to get sort of a feel of an understanding of what stress is. Uh, one of the best definitions I've ever heard is this definition, and so here it goes. It's a fill-in-the-blank. Stress is any stimulus, real or imagined, that causes our bodies to change. Now, the truth is, most of the stress that we experience is good stress, is healthy stress. We need stress. Yay, God, for stress. It's stress that gets us up in the morning. It's stress that puts us to work and takes us to school and gets us about our duties. It is stress that actually teaches us pretty much everything we do. There, you would do nothing. You would accomplish nothing with your life. Your life would have no meaning, no purpose. It would have no value without stress. Everything we've learned 
we've learned in our lives because of stress. Stress is a great thing. Stress is a positive thing in our life, yea, God, for stress. Until stress goes beyond the boundaries that God intended. It's sort of like driving with uh, uh, the uh, passing gear. You're on 59, you're on 8, you're on Highway 10, wherever you are, and there's this huge semi-truck right in front of you, and you got to get around the semi-truck, you love the passing gear. Man, you take off and you zoom right past that truck. But the problem is, is that though the passing gear is great and it's so useful at key moments if you drive all the time in the passing gear. If every minute you drive, you're in the passing gear, you're going to burn out your transmission. And this is what's happening to so many people. So many of us, we are living our whole lives, way too much time in our lives in the passing gear, in the full court press. And sooner or later, it will begin to burn us out. And this is why so many doctors are saying today that between 75 to 90% of all the illnesses that we experience in our life, we experience because of the end result of negative stress. It is emotionally induced illnesses. It's not imaginary illnesses. They're real illnesses. But what is creating the illnesses, what is killing the immune deficiency or defenses inside of us, are all of the negative emotions that we're allowing to be rampant in our life. And one of those is negative stress. God intends for us to live on the other side of negative stress. So when we're talking about negative stress, then what are we talking about? Well, let's, let's take a look at this definition. Negative stress is the gap, is the gap between the demands placed on us and the strength we have in meeting those needs. Now, let me, let me illustrate that and use these blocks to do so. This is you. You are so strong. You are so big. In fact, you're even bigger than that. You are this big. You have so much talent. You have so much wisdom. You have so much intelligence. You can do so much. You are very strong. But the problem that we have is that sometimes what we experience is other factors in our life that begin to grow. Maybe we get a challenge that we experience and it rises to this level. The gap between the strength that's in our life and the demands that are in our life is the negative stress that we experience in our life. Dr. Keith Schnert is a medical doctor who wrote a book called Stress, Unstress. And in his book, he talked about this gap that we experience many times in our life. And he said that there are three key things that we need to do in order to overcome the gap. The first thing he says is we need to start eating better. We need to eat right. we got to stop eating all that fat, stop eating all that sugar. Now we know 
Everybody knows this, that you've got to have some chocolate in your life. So when, I, when I'm talking about stop eating all the fat and all the sugar, I don't mean all of it. I don't mean you've got to have chocolate. We know that. Amen. You've got to have chocolate and ice cream. We've got to have, everybody's got to have a little bit of ice cream, a little bit of chocolate in our lives. So what I'm talking about is in moderation. That's what he's talking about, living in moderation. And he says we also need exercise. We've got to stop sitting so much. We've got to start walking more. This is why about a year and a half, two years ago, whenever it was, I, I got this Fitbit. And um, a couple days ago, I went 12,000 steps. Yesterday, it was 11,000-something steps. Today, before I even leave the church today, I will already be at seven to 8,000 steps. That's a Sunday morning for me. And so, part of staying, getting ourselves together, part of really dealing with this gap that happens in our lives is... Okay, we take better care of ourselves. We, we eat better. We exercise more. And the third one that he said is you need to have a healthy spiritual life. And it's the healthy spiritual life that Isaiah chapter 40 is all about. And so that's what I want to talk to you about in this passage of Scripture. To have a healthy spiritual life, we've got to take seriously God's promise of strength. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. This is such a key principle. The whole idea of renewing your strength. They'll soar up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. That word that you just fill in the blank with is a Hebrew word that word renew is a Hebrew word, shaleth, C-H-A-L-E-T-H, shaleth, which means to exchange. They shall exchange their strength. In other words, a Christian life is not just about a changed life. It's about an exchanged life. Paul understood this whole idea, and this is why he said what he said in Galatians 2.20. And remember, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he is saying is that I'm learning how to live an exchange life. I'm learning that I cannot accomplish what needs to be accomplished, but Christ in me can. And so I have decided I'm crucified with Christ. And now the life I live is actually Jesus living his life through me. This is the whole idea of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, when he says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Have you ever thought of this? You see, only when we experience the gap will we know the power of God in our life. When we come to the place to understand, okay, I'm only so strong, but what is now being challenged to me is far greater than what I am. It is only in me coming to understand my weakness that I experience His strength. 
And Paul came to that place in his life, this whole exchanged life kind of thing. And that is why he says in verse, the next verse, verse uh, uh, 10, therefore, verse 9, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. God wants us to live this exchanged life. In fact, there are many times in our lives that God calls us to things that are bigger than us. He calls us to things that are stronger than us. We, we have strength, we have intelligence, we have ability, but we don't have that much. And there is a part of us that says, I, I can't get that done. That is far beyond what I'm capable of doing. Isn't that parenting? When God called you to parenting, isn't that what happened? You've got ability, you've got power, you've got strength, you've got intelligence, but I'm telling you, parenting will push you far beyond what any resources that you have, any abilities that you have, and that's the whole idea. God is saying in the midst of your parenting, let me show you how I can give you a strength beyond you, how I can do in and through your life something beyond your ability. It is what marriage is if you stop and think about it. There are times in which we think, I got this thing, man, I know how to be a husband, be a wife. And there are other days we think to ourselves, I cannot do this. This is bigger than me. This is stronger than me. This is greater than me. God calls us in our lives, to challenges that we face that are bigger than us. So in the midst of those challenges, we can experience His strength in our life. That's what Isaiah 40 is saying in verse 28 and 29. Don't you know, haven't you heard, that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Okay, so how do you get it? How do you get the strength to face the gap? Well, he gives us one verse that tells us. Verse 31, but they that wait on the Lord shall exchange their strength. Psalm 27, verse 14, reaffirms it. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So what does it mean to wait on the Lord? There are three key things. Grab hold of these three, thing, three, these three things. First of all, to be still before God. To wait on the Lord means to be still. It means to stop fighting, stop running, stop panicking, stop struggling. It means to be still. Doesn't the Bible say, be still and know that I am God? It's in the stillness that God will speak to your heart. Be still and know that I am God. Slow me down, Lord. Ease the pounding of my heart by the quieting of my mind. Give me amid the confusion of the day the calmness of the everlasting hills. Break the tension of my nerves and my muscles with the soothing music of the singing streams that live in my memory. 
Can't you remember? Can't you hear the streams? Teach me the art of taking minute vacations. Well, great, now I can finally afford a vacation. Give me minute vacations, he is saying. Slow me down to look at a flower. When was the last time that you, you actually looked at a flower? I mean, actually looked. Not glanced. Look at this flower. Look how it's made. Look at the different parts to the flower. To chat with a friend, to pat a dog, to smile at a child, to read a few lines from a good book. Remind me each day that the race is not always to the swift, that there is more to life than increasing its speed. So what do you do? How, how do you slow down? How do you be still? One of the ways you could do that is when you're at the mall, sit down on a bench and just watch people walk by. I want to tell you it's the most entertaining thing you could ever do in your life. Just watch people because people are very weird. I mean, if you watch, if you look, just look at people. They are very, very strange. And so just watch them for a while. It is so entertaining. How about the minute vacation of just looking at the sky? We would love to be able to see the sky in Houston, wouldn't we? And one day we will see it again. And so when it comes back, when the clouds are not here and you can actually see the sky, just take a look. Just, oh, wow, look at that. We do have a sky here. Notice the trees. How long has it been since you actually looked at a tree and you saw all the directions of all the branches? And how weird it is that it turns and changes. When was the last time you actually stopped and looked? To count the stars, to listen to a song, to actually listen to each one of the notes of the song and the words and how the words and notes really fit each other. To take walks, to count your blessings, to look at an aquarium and all the fish and just watch them. And when you finally calm down and you're still, be still before God. Because oftentimes it is when we're still and quiet that we then actually hear God speak. So how do we wait before the Lord? Well, one of the ways that we wait before the Lord is that we practice the, the idea, the concept of being still before God. Second of all, to wait on the Lord means that I shift my focus from the source of my stress to my dependence upon God. This is the whole idea of Matthew chapter 6, 31 to 33. Jesus is doing the talking and he says this, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or, or what shall we wear? For the unbelievers run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. What Jesus is saying is, is you're putting too much time on the things of your life. In two weeks, uh, Pastor Richie's going to be coming back. He's going to be talking about the issue of worry, and he's going to be dealing with this whole passage of Scripture with so many insights that are going to really help you as you deal with the subject of worry. Next week, I'm going to be talking about depression 
And if you're not here, I'm going to be very depressed. I want you to be back here next Sunday, okay? And then worry, and, but he'll be looking at this passage of Scripture. And what Jesus is telling us, at least for us today, in how we're, what the part of the passage we're looking at is we've got too much emphasis on things. This is part of the whole stress we're experiencing. Back off the things. You can always have enough things. You don't always have to have all the things you want. You're putting too much emphasis on things. God will take care of you. There are days in our life, every day, in which we need to stop and say, okay, God, this is, this is your issue, not mine. This is as far as I can go. This is all I've got the strength for. But now this gap, God, I, I don't have the ability to deal with the gap. And now, God, I, you're going to have to come through. It, it's your turn. And God says, I, I want this. I want you to learn this, to live this way. I want you to understand that every gap is not to be fretted over and stressed out over. Every gap is intended to experience my strength in your life. I want you to learn dependence on me. To wait on the Lord means that you take the focus off the gap and you put your focus on God and say, okay, God, I'm not moving until you tell me to move. I'm not doing anything until you tell me to move to do it. God, I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you in my parenting, in my marriage. I'm depending on you in my job and the work that you called me to do in every area of my life. God, I am depending on you. He wants us to live in dependence. The third part of this whole waiting on God, waiting on God to, to be still before God, to, to shift our dependence up from ourselves to God. The third is that I hear what God tells me to do, and then I do it. It is about being obedient to God. Most of a person's stress is really generated by the different activities in our life. Part of the stress comes because of parenting. Part of it comes because, God, I don't know what to do. I don't have enough energy left. I I don't know how to get on the other side of this problem. But this is where God's Word is so powerful in our life. These are the moments that we need to go spend some time in God's Word about parenting, what it teaches us about parenting. Sometimes we build so many activities in our lives and in the lives of our kids, and now we've got to keep up with all these things that we built in our lives and we put in their schedules to boot. You know what? This is part of the struggle in parenting in this age. We seriously have got to have 20 million activities for every one of our kids. There are activities that we need to do. There are things we need to be a part of. Learning where that cutoff point is so critical. Learning what the Bible teaches about what's the most important things about parenting and getting back to those things, going back to God's Word. God, show me again what it means to be a parent and how it is I am to parent and be the discipler of my children. Let me get back to the main thing. In marriage, the same thing. So when we are facing the stresses in which the gap is too big for our lives, 
Oh, man, this is the time in which we've got to go back, get in a concordance, go online, use Google search or whatever, parenting from the Bible, marriage from the Bible, go back and read the verses again. How is it that I am to operate my life? Now, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And I'm trusting you and depending on you to bridge the gap. It teaches us how it is that, that we are to work and the work ethic of, of school and work and how it is we're to conduct ourselves, how we're to view circumstances that we face in our life. It shows us how to do that. This is where God's Word gives us instruction. Okay, now, God, I know what to do, and I do it. I go back to my Bible. I open it up. Now, God, speak to me. And whatever you tell me to do, I will follow what you say. Think about what he says. If you and I will learn how to wait on the Lord, we will gain new strength. In our weaknesses, he'll be strong. Learning to be still. Learning to stop fretting over things so much and become dependent on God. God, would you be strong in my weakness? Learning to be obedient to God. Take a look at these, and I'm going to, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, would you say these with me? These are the ways in which you and I can gain new strength. Here we go. Would you say it with me? Be still. Be God-dependent. Be obedient to God. There it is. And God says that the more we yield ourselves to be these things, to do these things, the greater the strength emerges. This is the next point. If we do what God has told us to do, we will experience power over stress. Verse 31, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What he is describing is that if we are willing to do what God is telling us to do, that we will gain new strength. He will take, he will knock down, he will knock down whatever it is that is in front of us, and he will gain the victory. Amen? wasn't exactly part of what I was trying to do, but you get the idea. Now, think with me about that verse, that they will soar on wings like eagles. An eagle knows when the storm is coming. Instinctively, an eagle knows when the storm is coming. And what happens is, is that he doesn't hunker down with a storm and get through the storm. What the eagle does is actually he flies way up as high as he can physically fly. And then when the wind that always precedes the storm comes, he tilts his wings. And when he tilts his wings, it actually pushes him even further up than he could go normally. In other words, the eagle doesn't escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. It rides on the winds that brings the storm. And God is saying, this is what I could do for you. This is who I can be for you. You can live this way. There was 
a contest that only allowed three particular contestants to enter. They notified these three guys, you are so good, we want you to be the three contestants. They were three artists, and they said, we want you three to to, uh, paint a picture. And in the picture, we want you to express, in the greatest way that comes to your mind and heart, the expression of peace. Well, the first guy, when he painted his picture, his picture was of a sunset over the ocean. You've seen these. You've seen sunsets, just the explosion of all kinds of colors as the sun is starting to go down uh, below the horizon. And the calm ocean, the calm water, and the beautiful sunset. It was an incredible picture of peace. The second guy picked, he, he painted a picture of a little girl out in a field and picking daisies, putting them in her basket. It was such a peaceful scene. But the guy that actually won it was a guy who took a totally different direction to the contest. He painted a picture of this amazing storm that was coming straight for this area. It was a huge storm, a violent storm. It was black clouds, and there was lightning in the clouds, and boy, it was going to be an amazing storm. And right in the foreground, there was this waterfall that was coming down. You could just imagine the thunder of that waterfall. Behind the waterfall, in all the rocks, a little tree had sort of begun, just a small tree, and and had worked its way up. And in the tree, the branches of the tree, there was a nest. And in the nest, a bird, a mama bird. And you could just see underneath her wing, just right at the corner of her wing, wing, was the picture of a little baby bird sound asleep. That peace is actually in the most violent of circumstances in which we are at rest under the shelter of His wings. Yesterday in my, my daily reading, I came across Psalm 91 was part of the reading and I didn't know in advance that it was going to be. And I thought, well, how interesting is this? Because I was going to quote this for you. Psalm 91, verses 1 and 4. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. And God is saying, let me be this. Let me be this for you. Let me show you how you can face the gap and how I can be the strength that you need in your life. Let me show you. Let me be that for you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and Father, I think of so many in this room that perhaps as we went through the series, this last series, in both of our, on our, both of our campuses and both of our worship centers today, 
that there were some in the, in the room that though we've been religious, maybe religiously lost, and we have never, had never, maybe they'd never come to accept Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior. And oh God, so badly they need you. And I pray, Father, that this would be Salvation Day, that there would be many on both campuses today that would go to the next step center, that would talk to one of our ministers, tell me, how can I know Jesus as my Savior? Father, I pray that you would move in hearts today, that many that are maybe our guests have been visiting the church, maybe for a long time, maybe just for a few weeks, but in their heart of hearts, they know this is my church. And today I make the decision, Sugar Creek is my church. God, we pray you would move in hearts and bless and bring us into your presence and fill us with your strength. Bridge the gap. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.